0: Jesus is our only hope. The Israeli intelligence did not see this coming. U.S. intelligence did not see this coming, but God was fully aware. Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Now, here's our lead pastor, J.D. Swilly. So, I'm going to do my best this morning to bring you the second part of a message I gave last Sunday called, What in the World is Going On? We're talking about Israel and Hamas and what's going on there in the Middle East and the global tension that's brewing, and um, this wasn't on my calendar. (laughs) It was not on the preaching calendar. Uh, It wasn't on anybody's preaching calendar, but the Lord knew what was gonna happen. So, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, we started a series uh, called Shape to Serve. And it's important to recognize what's going on in the world. And if necessary, pump the brakes on your own plan. You know, we make plans, but sometimes things come up and things happen, and we just wanna just press through with our plan. Well, sometimes that's necessary, and sometimes we need to turn aside. Uh, like when Moses was shepherding his flock on the side of the mountain, and there was a bush that was burning, and he had an option. He had a choice. He could just keep doing what he was doing, or he could turn aside, and that's what we've decided to do here, and, and it's important. The reason that we've done this is it's important because as followers of Jesus that we are prepared for the days in which we live and that we have a grid, and that we have a context of what's happening in the world. Um, Why is this important? Because what's happening right now in the world is not distinct, and it's not separate from what's happening in the spiritual realm, in the unseen realm, in the kingdom of God even. Everything that's happening in this world has a biblical significance and relevance. So what took place on October 7th in Israel I just felt compelled to shine some light on what's going on and what the Bible has to say. So last week, uh, we started this talk here on what in the world is going on, and we talked about the Abrahamic covenant of God promising the land and the lineage, and through, in that land and through that lineage, the Lord would come. And, uh, and so there was a promised land to Abraham and his descendants, and there was a blessed lineage that God said that he would bless the nations of the earth through the Jewish people. And, of course, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, would come through those people. And so from the beginning of that covenant, the enemy has stopped at nothing from trying to steal the land and kill the lineage and to oppose the Lord and destroy his reputation and the inheritance of Lord Jesus Christ. And so it started all with Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and the tension between them and Hagar and Ishmael, and the tension, this tension has only increased <laughs> for the past 4,000 years. So people have questions, and, and, and people are wondering, what does all of this mean? And what's coming? And, and we all want to know. We don't want to just know what the news says, but we want to know, what does God say? Amen? And that's why it's important for us to just pause on what we had planned and give attention to what's going on. And, and we shouldn't, and this is not a time that for us to stick our heads in the sand and just pretend like nothing's happening and just, there, there is some truth to we need to go on with life, but we shouldn't just pretend like this isn't happening on the other side of the world. It's not a time to be naive. And it's not time to just take the word of just what everyone else is saying out there, what the talking heads are saying, or what the media is saying, or what you see on social media. This week, um, I heard one one of my pastors, Lee Cummings, who's the head of Radiant Church and the Radiant Network, which is the the, uh, family of churches to which we belong. Seeds Church is part of the Radiant Network of churches. And Pastor Lee made a statement and when I heard this, I thought, this is just uh, so good. If I had to do it over again, I would have just um, played you the video of him giving the statement. But instead, um, I transcribed it, and I'm going to tell it to you. But this morning on my drive here, I thought, why didn't I just like play the video for you? That would have been way easier. But I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to tell you what he said, because uh, what he had to say was very akin and similar and And it was in the same heartbeat of what we were talking about last week. And so I I thought this is good for you to hear this apostolic voice uh, share over our church because we are part of this network of churches and hear what Pastor Lee had to say. This is what he said. He says, I don't know which is scarier. The fact that thousands of Hamas terrorists stormed the nation of Israel by land, sea, and air with the expressed purpose of murder, rape, torture, and abduction, or the fact that weeks later, the world is standing in support of these demonic forces and gathering for protests against Israel at the moment of her greatest grieving, chanting for the destruction of Israel with the chant, from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free. I understand clearly that there is a distinction that needs to be made between Hamas and Palestinians living in the Gaza Strip and the West Bank. I do find it interesting that not a single Palestinian leader or Arab leader in the Middle East or political leader here in the U.S. that is connected to the Palestinian cause has been willing to publicly condemn Hamas or the atrocities that they committed, not one. Instead, they've shifted the narrative away from October 7th and Israel's right to defend themselves in their innocence, and they've shifted it away from those things towards what the media and the left-wing propaganda machine has focused on, which is that Israel is actually the terrorists. Israel has been blamed for bombing a hospital in Gaza. It was plastered on the New York Times and other media outlets, even after it was debunked. And it was clearly proven to be a missile from the Islamic Jihad, another terrorist organization, that intended the missile to do destruction and death in Israel and not Gaza. This is, a, this is the modern equivalent of watching the towers fall on September 11th, 2001, and then watching in the following days, as in the Gaza Strip as well as the West Bank, they erupted in celebration. Imagine if on that day, America's greatest tragedy, if world leaders, instead of sending their condolences, chose to side with Al-Qaeda, burn the American flag in every major city of the world, and chant, destroy America. It would be the equivalent of protesting against the Jews of Germany in 1945, waving Nazi flags with swastikas on them as the death camps are discovered by Allied forces never again has been replaced with do it again until the job gets done. This chant that's not just echoing out of Gaza or the West Bank, um, it's actually resounding on state university campuses here in America, is a genocidal call for the Jews and the nation of Israel to be exterminated. And it's reminiscent of the pogroms of Russia under Stalin. Even in Michigan, on Saturday, October 21st, that's eight days ago, the president of a Detroit-area Jewish synagogue was brutally murdered outside of her home, stabbed several times, just days after massive anti-Israel rallies were held in the streets of Detroit in favor of Hamas and Palestine. We are living in perilous times, saints. The Bible clearly speaks out about the days in which we are living and those that are to come. It is imperative that we clearly understand more than what is on the news cycle. We must see through the lens of the spiritual battle that is and that it will continue to be. If you're looking for this thing to die down and go back to life as usual, you're living blindly to what is taking place around you. It's time to wake up and realize that the days in which we are living in are evil days and it's time to realize that Israel is a test. How we respond to Israel is how we respond to the promises and covenants of God. I thought that was uh, really well stated. Over the last few weeks, I've been observing what's been going on, not just there in the Middle East, but in our own nation and around the world. And I'm Quite frankly, I'm grieved by the lack of empathy for Israel. I've been grieved by the global support of terrorism. Even in our own country, I've been grieved by the silence of organizations, including many in the Western church. There have been pastors and leaders that haven't spoken out at all. We we have... Churches in here in the West that are doing more for to support drag shows, those kinds of abominations, and then they're silent on the ish this issue, or they're anti-Semitic. And some people say, well. We don't necessarily hold Israel in that high of regard in our eschatological framework. Well, I understand that there's a spectrum of eschatological beliefs when it comes to um, within the church, when it comes to Israel. I, I, there's some things that we may agree and disagree on. Um, but I would say, at the very least, there should be compassion for the people that have been attacked. And I would say this, it is a good thing and it is the right thing for us to call out what is an evil attack, regardless of what your eschatology is. This is evil. And, I, and, and this is not really a new circumstance. It's not an unknown circumstance. This is not foggy waters that we're navigating through. This is not one of those situations where we have to go like, well, we just don't know the facts yet. Let's take some time and let, let some things play out so that the you know facts can come out. It's not like that. We do know the facts, and it's the same facts that we have been dealing with for 4,000 years. Israel has given... Or that you know they, they've actually begun some of the ground insurgents now into the Gaza, but they've given weeks of warnings to civilians living there in Gaza to evacuate before they begin their invasion. They they are intentionally not targeting civilians, even though on October seventh, Hamas intentionally targeted civilians, and even now Hamas continues. To to do that and use their own families and friends and civilians as a human shield. So that when Israel does come in and does what it has to do, Hamas is going to look like the victim. And they're going to be on the side of public opinion. And this is illogical, and it's irrational, and it's insidious. This week, I I came across a a new poll that um, Harvard Center for American Political Studies, um, they did. Here are some of the um, results of this study that they did. 84% of registered voters that they polled side with Israel in this current conflict with Hamas. That's good. However, um, out of the respondents in the study, the Gen Z voters, it was basically split down the middle, 50-50. 48% of Gen Z respondents side with Hamas and Palestine in this current conflict. 51% of Gen Z respondents in this poll uh, in the study, think that Hamas' killing of 1,400 Israeli civilians can be justified by the grievances of Palestinians. I'm not trying to pick on Gen Z. I, I've got children that are part of that generation, my own bi- biological children. But they have been blinded to the truth. They've been products of their environment. Their parents, instead of raising them rightly, have just put devices in their hands and they've allowed TikTok to raise them, which is run by communist China. So what do you expect? They've been blinded to the truth, they've been brainwashed, again, by social media, they've been brainwashed by what their favorite celebrities say, and they've been brainwashed through the woke public education system. And I said something akin to this last week, uh, that Hamas has been working on a strategy for a couple of decades of portraying themselves to the world as we're the victim and Israel is the oppressor, and that strategy is working. And here's why we know that it's working, because you see groups like LGBTQ activists Uh, climate change activists, pro-abortion activists, BLM activists, feminist activists, um, they're all marching for Palestine and against Israel. Do you guys realize that that makes zero sense whatsoever? Why does it make zero sense? Because all of their woke values are antithetical to Islamic values. Yesterday at our men's breakfast, we heard an interview with uh, former Army Ranger, John Lovell, who's um, a man of God, and uh, he was giving just his own, some own insight into this. And he said, this is probably not new information for many of us, but he says if some of these people who are protesting in favor of Hamas and Palestine were to go put boots on the ground there in Gaza and say, here we are, we've been supporting you, they would be murdered. He says, they hate you. They hate you, and you are an infidel. It doesn't matter that you're marching for us. Your values are antithetical to Islam. We hate you, and we're going to kill you. And and, and so what what you end up with here is this social justice slash intersectionality train wreck. And and these people think they just see a victim. They think they see somebody who they think is a victim. And without even thinking, without investigating the truth, they just go, well, we're just going to leak arms with these people because they're a victim. And we're victims. Well, that doesn't even make sense. It's the same kind of nonsense that we see when when feminists who have been uh, doing the work of of trying to create, you know, equal everything for women, and now they have to go and support a biological man who's trying to compete in women's sports, because now that guy has been painted as a victim. That makes no sense whatsoever. It is a completely broken ideology, Right? And guys, hang, hang with me here. We, we are going to open our Bibles this morning, I promise. We're gonna open our Bibles and actually read quite a bit. So, but, but that ideology is backwards and it's broken. And, and so when it comes to Israel and Hamas and these other issues, these people are either, they're completely deceived and they don't realize how mindless that they're being. Or maybe some of them, are too proud to admit that they took the bait. And some of them are just caught up in the wake. They are, they are like I said a couple weeks ago, they grabbed their inner tube and ran to the river and they're floating just with the current of the river, not realizing it's headed to a very dangerous waterfall. They've got no idea what they're doing and they don't know the truth of the matter. Many of them and again I'm not just picking on Gen Z, but I but this is like half of Gen Z and there would be a lot of others included in this that would be part of other generations. They've they're not thinking for themselves. And especially I would say the younger generations haven't been trained to think for themselves. They've not been taught to reason. They've not been given critical thinking skills they don't know how to search for truth all they know is what they have been spoon-fed and unfortunately what they've been spoon-fed is poison so e- even even i want to just say this just as 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 a, as a as a stance of principle as we are raising christian children there is a a season where you do spoon-feed them and when we spoon feed them, we, we feed them the word of God. And that's not poison. That's life. But at some point, we still even have to teach our Christian children how to feed themselves. And to, have, and to think and to reason and know how to read this for themselves. And not just ride on the faith coattails of mom and dad. Or the faith coattails of the so-and-so at church. Their faith has to be owned by themselves. So from a heart of compassion, not from a heart of superiority, not from a heart of pride, not from a heart of self-righteousness, but from a heart of compassion, we need to pray for these people. We need to pray for Gen Z. We need to pray for anybody who has who have these, these broken and backwards ideologies. And we need, when we have the opportunity to help educate them or re-educate them, all of these who are blind to the truth. All of what's going on here, it far surpasses what we see in the natural realm. Everything that we see in the news media. It is approached from geopolitical viewpoints and the physical conflict and war. But as Christians, we need to realize what we see goes so much deeper than that. It's more than what's on the surface. This is an ancient, spiritual, and prophetic thing that's happening. And we need to understand what's taking place. The question is, well, how? How can we understand? Well... By going to the Bible and knowing what it says, knowing how to read it. In a world where politicians don't know the answers, God does know the answer. God's word does. In a world where people are motivated by fear because they don't know what's coming, we as the people of God can know what's coming and be motivated by faith. You can clap if you want to. You can leave your friends behind. Anyway. Um, last week, we talked about some, a little bit about what Islam says is coming. We talked a little bit about Islamic eschatology. Today, I want to talk about the truth from God's word, about what is truly coming. And we're going to talk today, what we're going to talk about today is really just going to be like picking up a stone and skipping it across the pond. Of just some prophetic scriptures. It's not going to be a deep dive. This is going to be like a Sam's Club or a Costco sample. You know, it's like, uh, it's like 1230 on Tuesday. I'm going to get run through Costco and grab some lunch. You know, I'll thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, I'm teasing. I know nobody in here has ever done that. Do this with me. Uh, Let's pick up back where we left off last week. Go to uh, and turn in your Bibles to First Thessalonians chapter 5, and if you will, please just stand with me. We're going to honor the Word of God. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, today, I'm going to ask you to read this aloud with me, these few verses here. We're going to start in verse 2, and here we go. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness." So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Lord, we just ask you right now, Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear what it is that you're saying. Help us as we look in your word. For our lives to not try to conform your word to our lives, but we want our lives to conform to your word. We want to be shaped by your word. We're going to be led by your spirit. Lord God, we want to make our hearts and our homes and this church an altar to you, God. An altar to remember who you are, to surrender everything that we have, and to make the sacrifices to you that you've called us to make for the glory of your name. We want your presence to come and rule and reign in this church and in our homes. We pray this in the name of Jesus, and if you agree, say amen. Amen. The uh, Christian eschatology or the vision of the end times, the last days, is that Jesus is coming as king of kings and lord of lords. He will judge his enemies and establish a kingdom that never ends. Let's look at this passage that we just read and some. We're gonna read some more verses than what we just read. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, chapter 5, verse 2, in the day of the Lord. That's the theme. The theme is the second coming of Jesus will come like a thief in the night while people are saying, there's peace and security. What's interesting is, I don't know if many of you know this, uh, it's not like a private thing, but there were actually peace talks happening between Hamas and Israel right before all of this happened. And Israel was going into a holiday, so there was peace talks going into a holiday, thinking, all right, this is going to be good. There's peace and security. It's Everything's going to be great here. But it was all a smokescreen. It was all deception. And then it says, sudden destruction. And that's exactly what we experienced on October 7th. It will come upon them as labor pains. In Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus has a lot to say about the last days and the end times and his second coming. And in verse 8 of Matthew 24, Jesus said that as we get nearer to the end times, as we get nearer to the last days, his second coming, there will be greater intensity and frequency of birth pains until he returns. And it says it will come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape, meaning you can try to do everything you can to get out of this situation, but the baby is coming. And if you skip down to verse nine, it says, God has not destined us for wrath. Wrath is coming, but thank you, Jesus, not for the children of God. Amen? Amen. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So where is all of this headed? It's headed toward the second coming of Jesus. And what this means is this, it will be the end of the world as we know it. R.E.M. and Michael Stipe told us, it's the end of the world as we know it. (laughs) For those who don't know Jesus is coming, it'll be the worst day. For those of us who do know Jesus is coming, it will be the best day. Jesus is our only hope. Can you just say that just as a, just tell yourself right now, say Jesus is my only hope. hope. And he's not just your only hope, he's our only hope collectively, together. This is not just, uh, this is, you know, following Jesus is not just about you. It's, It's us, it's the kingdom of God. Jesus is our only hope. The Israeli intelligence did not see this coming. U.S intelligence did not see this coming, but God was fully aware. The Bible has 2,500 prophecies, 2,000 of which have been fulfilled about the second coming of Christ. There's still 500 or so left to, to be, st- still to be fulfilled. And what we're reading here is prophecy about the second coming of Jesus. God knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows, He rules, he reigns and he reveals the future. And ultimately what he's telling us is this, Jesus is our only hope. Yeah. If we go back one chapter, if you've got your Bible go back to chapter 4 there in 1st Thessalonians and in uh, verse 13. It says and now dear brothers and sisters, We want you to know what will happen to the believers who've died. So uh, I'm going to read this here to you in the New Living. It says, uh, but we do not want you to be uninformed. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers. Right now, a lot of people are uninformed. They might see what's happening in the news, and they're watching the news, and they're fearful, and they're anxious, and they're worried and they're uncertain because they're not fully informed. They're uninformed. But God's word prophesies and tells us how to interpret what in the world is going on and the birth pains, and it's the preparing for the second coming of Christ. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as as others who do not have hope. When we lose someone who belongs to the Lord, we grieve. But not as people who don't know Jesus. We know that we're going to see them again. There will be a resurrection and a family reunion. Thank you, Jesus. For since we believed that Jesus died, continues on, for since we believe that Jesus died, that's the heart of the gospel. Jesus is God. He lived without sin. He died on the cross. He rose again. He ascended to heaven. This is our hope. So the worst thing is not to die. The worst thing is to die without belonging to Jesus. Even so, Through Jesus, God will bring with him those that have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. And it, yes, thanks be to God, and it will come to pass. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not proceed with those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And here's the best part. So we will always be with the Lord. Yes. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Right now, we see through a dark and foggy filter. One day, we're going to get to see the love of God face to face. The love of God has a name. His name is Jesus. Isaiah in Revelation says that God's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. I can't wait till we all get to be with the Lord. And then it says this. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The birth pains, the last days, the conflicts, the wars, the second coming of Jesus. For the church, for us, it actually should encourage us. Don't let the news discourage you. Don't let the news and and people and social media put fear and worry and anxiety into your heart. That's not the Holy Spirit. We have prophetic promises that await us. These are the birth pains that lead to the last days, the final hour and the coming of Jesus. So pour courage into one another. That's what that means, encourage one another. That means if I've got some courage and Lee doesn't, then I need to give him some. We need to spend some time together so that your faith can be built up so that you can have courage poured into you. We want to tell people about Jesus because until he returns, we have this great opportunity. But once he returns, the opportunity for salvation has passed. According to the scriptures, there's two major world events that happen in history. The first has happened already it's the first coming of, of Jesus, it's the first coming of Christ. And the second one is can you guess? It's the second coming of Jesus, the first time that Jesus came, he came lowly in a manger, riding on a donkey. When he comes again, he will come in glory, riding on a white war horse. So then they, people have these questions here, the Thessalonians. They, and so they address the questions that maybe the Thessalonians have. Well, what happens when Jesus returns? What about the believers who died before Jesus returned? How many of you you've known somebody that you've loved and you've, you've lost somebody? Probably almost all of us in this room. I have. We've had dear saints and even brothers in this church. In just the short six-year history of Seeds Church, we've had dear brothers, Jason and James, that have passed and now they're with the Lord. What happens to them? In verse 15, Paul doesn't say that they're dead. He says that they're asleep. The scriptures use different language for believers who have died versus unbelievers who've died. Unbelievers who die, it's death. But for believers who die, it's asleep. Their body goes into the ground, but their soul goes to be with the Lord. So it's kind of like their body is sleeping while their soul is living. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says it this way. We would rather be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. Why? Because then we are always going to be with him. So your body can cease to exist, but your soul still exists. In Philippians chapter one, Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. To depart and be with Christ is far better. Again, we've had these dear saints, dear brothers, mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, and even some of us children that have passed away but this is the hope of the believer. Yes, we do grieve, but we do not grieve the same way as those who do not believe. We grieve with hope because we have the hope of the second coming and we have the hope of the bodily resurrection of the children of God. And in verse 16, Paul says that when Jesus returns, the dead in Christ will rise first. Those who have been asleep will wake up. And their soul and their body will be reunited and they will be raised to perfect eternal life, never to die again. Praise God. We are gonna see loved ones. We're gonna have a family reunion that never ends. The Bible doesn't address this specifically, but I think it's reasonable that we would see children who have been miscarried and even aborted, be reunited and reconciled with their families in eternity. There's great hope for the children of God, amen? Amen. The next question is this. What happens to believers who are alive when Jesus returns? Verse 17 says that we're going to meet him in the air. We're going to meet Jesus in the air. Some of this was prophesied about already in Acts chapter 1. Um, you know, Jesus lived and he died and was resurrected. And after he was resurrected, he hung out here on earth for 40 days. And, and during that time period, he was seen by many people, not just a few of his, you know, just a small group of disciples. No, he was seen in, in front of crowds of people, some of which 500 at one time. And he's spending the very last moments with the disciples uh, on the Mount of Olives. And he's giving them these last words, and in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, And you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my bold witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he says that, and he's like, beam me up, Scotty. He peaces out, and he ascends up to heaven right in front of the disciples. The disciples are standing there with their jaws dropped, not like going, what do we do now, even though Jesus just told them what he wanted them to do, but So they're just standing there in shock and awe, and all of a sudden, two men dressed in white came out of nowhere. They just appear there. So two angels appear right there beside the disciples, and they say that this is Jesus who was taken from you into heaven. He will come in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. And this is the prophecy that's given here in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, says that Jesus will come with the commanding cry, with the voice of the archangel. An archangel is like a military term for senior warrior. When Jesus returns, he's not going to come lowly, but he's going to come in glory. Not to die but to slaughter his enemies. Revelation 19 says that when Jesus returns, his eyes are going to be like flames of fire, and he's going to be wearing multiple crowns, and the robe that he's going to be dressed in is going to be red from blood. And on his hip, uh, it says, Jesus has a tattoo. It's kind of cool. Um, That's one way you can interpret it. I'm not saying Jesus has a tattoo but it does say written on his, on his thigh. It says, King of kings and Lord of lords. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword to strike down his enemies. And he's riding on this white war horse and right there with him will be all of the armies of heaven with him also riding on white horses. They're all clothed in pure white fatigues. They've got, I don't know if it's like Flak jackets or what, you know? It's not, it's says robes, but anyway. Maybe they had that John Wick kind of material or it was bulletproof, I don't know. You guys, there's not gonna be any Air Force, there's not gonna be any Top Gun pilot that is going to attempt to try to overtake and attack the armies of heaven. Maverick loses every time against Jesus. Maverick is cool. Tom Cruise is great. Until he has to face Jesus and he loses every time. The, the, the scriptures speak about angels throughout the Bible. and It's interesting. Um, only two angels are ever named in the scripture. There, there, I, there's all kinds of angels throughout the scriptures, but only two do we have actually names for. That's Gabriel and Michael. And, and the term archangel is only used in reference to Michael, Jude chapter nine, talks about the archangel Michael. So Jesus is returning with an archangel, a military official, and he will have with him the armies of heaven to make war on the earth. And it says that we will be caught up with him in the air. So, so just as Jesus ascended, we will ascend when he descends. This is the way it's describing it here in 1 Thessalonians. And we will meet him in the air. Now, there's a lot of debate about, you know when this happens and how it's going to happen and there's varying opinions and views on this. And I just want to say this, that's not a matter of salvation. Uh, nor do I matter do I think it's a matter to break fellowship with people over in disagreement with? Well, this church over here believes this about the rapture and we believe this about the rapture and they're like, okay, cool, great. That's not a more, that's not a matter of salvation. Okay, that's not, a, that's not a point to break fellowship with anybody over, okay? It's an open-handed issue. It, here's the deal. I'm hoping for a pre-tribulation rapture. But when I read the scriptures, when I, and I say this, I'm hoping for that, but when you, when you realize that that's a pretty new doctrine of the church, it's not even 200 years old. Pre-tribulation rapture is, is not, even, it's not even 200 years old. And when I read the scriptures and I read what Jesus says in Matthew 24 and 25, I'm hoping for a pre-tribulation rapture, but I'm preparing for a post-tribulation rapture. So all of this begs the question, are we living in the end times? This is interesting. I saw this this week. Pew Research study came out. Uh, this, this came out right before um, the attack on Israel. Uh, I don't know right before. It It came out sometime before. It's likely if they were to do this study again, the numbers would be a little bit different. This was uh, a poll of non-Christians and Christians all in the U.S. The first question was, are we living in the end times? 39% of all adults say yes. 47% of all professing Christians say yes. 63% of Protestant Christians, uh, that's our team, uh, say yes. Will Jesus Christ return to earth with a second coming? 55% of all adults say yes. Now, can I just point out for a second, that seems a little odd because the numbers say that most don't believe in Jesus, but they think he's coming back. (laughs) Is Jesus coming back? Yes. Are people going to hell? Yes. Do you believe in him? No. Can I point out the obvious that this is not a great plan? (laughs) 75% of profession Christians say yes. 92% of Protestant Christians say yes. Will Jesus return during your lifetime? 10% of all adults say yes. 1% of Protestant Christians say yes. 27% of all adults are unsure. Cool. Those are just questions of people. Before Jesus comes, many people are having, what are some of the birth pains that come right before Jesus comes. Well, Ezekiel chapters 38 and 39 talk about a final war. And um, there's gonna be constant attack from the nations surrounding Israel to do what? To steal the land, to kill the lineage, and to oppose the Lord. So far, this has been a 4,000-year war on the Abrahamic covenant. The Bible and history tells us that Israel has been invaded and they have been intact over and over and over. The, really, honestly, guys, the, the sustaining of the Jewish people and the current existence of the nation of Israel is an actual amazing evidence that there is a God and that he keeps his commandments. Apart from a supernatural explanation, the Jews don't have the land and they don't keep it. Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 names the ancient nations surrounding Israel, and it describes that there's gonna be an invasion from the north and from the south, that there will be a coordinated effort for these three things to steal the land, to kill the lineage, the lineage, and to oppose the Lord. The ancient nations are listed here, Magog, Persia, Cush, Put, Gomer, and Beth, um, Togarmah. We could get into the weeds about whether, you know, this ancient nation is now called this. And is, is this ancient nation now called that? We could get in deep with all that stuff. There's some debate about it. The questions we have are, what are some of the birth pains that come before Jesus comes? Are we entering into that Ezekiel 38 and 39 war? This is, is this the end of the world as we know it? And, and listen, I could turn this entire back wall, into an end times timeline, and give you all the explanation of what I think is going to happen. You know, people have been doing this my entire lifetime, and and, and tell you all these what these passages mean. But it, it seems like the target keeps moving a little bit, and so the answer is is this: we don't know exactly. Israel has been attacked and invaded so many times, and we've not gotten there yet. Even in these days that we're reading about here. The Thessalonians are wondering, are we there? Thousands of years later, 2,000 years later, we're wondering, are we there yet? We're feeling a lot of birth pains and we're wondering, is it time? What we do know is this. The evil, violent, murderous spirit of Hamas, which we talked about last week, Hamas is is of course, the name of this terrorist organization that operates out of the Gaza Strip. But it's more than that, it's it's an Arabic word that means zeal and it's a Hebrew word that means evil violence. We know that this evil, murderous, violent, wicked spirit is going to be working through these nations and also probably other nations who align themselves with these other nations to do the same thing that it did in the days of Noah, to do the exact same thing that it did in the days of Ishmael, to do the exact same thing that it did in the days of Moses in the Egyptian empire, in Haman in the Persian empire, the days of Jesus in the Roman empire, In the 1930s and 40s, during the Third Reich. And we can just keep adding about probably eight other names to that list throughout history that this wicked, evil, violent, murderous spirit has been trying to do, and that is to steal the land, kill the lineage, and oppose the Lord. Stop the will of the Lord Jesus, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Ezekiel 38, 39, the scattered people of Israel have come back to their homeland. It looks as if they're gonna have peace, but all these nations turn against them. It looks very bleak for Israel. It appears as if Israel will lose the land. It appears as if they'll be eradicated from the face of the earth, and it appears as if the will of the Lord will be thwarted. But the Lord intervenes, and tremendous hope enters the picture. The Lord wins the war, that Israel would otherwise lose because ultimately the land belongs to Jesus. Genesis chapter 12 says that the land belongs to the seed of Abraham. Galatians chapter three says that Jesus is the seed of Abraham. The land belongs to Jesus. He's coming back to the land of his lineage, to the descendants of Abraham, and he's coming as the Lord, that there will be a restoration of the land and there will be a revival among the Jewish people. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 11. Israel has been a branch that has been broken off of the trunk of the olive tree, the tree of life, which is Jesus. And they, they have broken themselves off but many will turn back toward Jesus, and just like we, Gentiles, have been grafted onto the tree of life, they too will be grafted back onto the tree of life. Praise God. So, what in the world is going on? Birth pains, war, conflict, all with Israel at the center, and it will look like the Abrahamic covenant is coming to an end, like the spirit of Hamas is gonna have its way but Jesus wins. Every great superhero movie is just a rip off of the Jesus story. The planet is in peril. It's dark days, it's the last hour. And then the superhero comes to rescue us. The supernatural hero, Jesus, comes to rescue. Yeah. Have hope, Jesus is our hope. I'm gonna, we're gonna close here. Zechariah chapter 14. I hope this will melt your soul with hope and joy and cause you to thank God for Jesus Christ. Behold, a day is coming. Church family, a day is coming. We believe the word of the Lord. A day is coming for the Lord. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. Ultimately, the goal is to get Jerusalem. And the city shall be taken and all the houses plundered and the women raped. We've been seeing some of these birth pains in the last few weeks. Half of the city shall go into exile. Israel's losing the battle. But then the Lord will go out and fight. The battle belongs to the Lord, the battle belongs to Jesus. I don't know about you, but I believe the Bible. I believe these prophecies. I believe in the second coming of Jesus. I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And I believe in the kingdom of God. And I believe it by faith until I see it by sight. Until I see him by sight. The Lord will go out and fight against those nations as though he fights on a day of battle. On that day His feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. That's exactly where he ascended from. And that's exactly where he descends to. That lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west. Listen, Islam is going to push for global control. They will want to bring peace. It's a counterfeit peace. They're going to want to bring peace through the sword then a counterfeit Christ will rise up. The scriptures say this is the man of lawlessness or the son of destruction. Another antichrist. The spirit of antichrist is here on the earth already. And, And the scriptures tell us and the apostles tell us and Jesus has told us that there's going to be many. But here we are at the end. In this one, Antichrist figure is gonna rise up and there will be a plan to take the land and to end the lineage and to stop the Lord. But Jesus will take care of it. He will come and he'll take care of it. And the archangel and the armies of heaven will come with him. And you have to remember, this is going to happen when it looks the most bleak. So we still have some birth pains coming. But when his feet hit the Mount of Olives, it's gonna split in two. And our Lord Jesus Christ is gonna rule and he's gonna reign and he's gonna judge, and he will be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he will not just take back the promised land, but he will take back every inch of land which he created. And it's, it's created by him, it's under his lordship. And the world is saying, it's getting worse. It's getting worse, but you and I, brothers and sisters, can say, He's getting closer. He's coming closer. Yeah. So let, let, let's end where we started. Now, concerning the times and seasons, first Thessalonians 5. Concerning the times and seasons, this is where everyone goes. When? When? When is it gonna happen? In the fullness of time. It's it's it could be any, any moment, could be another thousand years. We don't know. But the point is, is that we cannot give into the temptation to go, well, it will never happen. No, we've got to live every single day as if it could happen at the next moment, in the next breath. Brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, that's the second coming of Jesus, will come like a thief in the night, completely unexpected, while people are saying there is peace and security, oh, finally things are good. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, that's us. This is us. Are not in darkness, brothers. For that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do. Let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. Having put on the breastplate of faith. I trust Jesus and I'm waiting for him. Let us put on the the breastplate of faith and love. We are going to love each other because we're the children of God. And for the helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. There's war out there, but there's worship in here. And we worship the one who wins the war. Yeah. Praise God. Go ahead and stand up. This is, this is the hope of the believer. There, there are, listen, there are believers and unbelievers. Unbelievers are in darkness. Believers are in the light. We see what's going on. We are not asleep. We are not drunk. We are awake. We are sober. We know that these are labor pains. We know that we are not destined for wrath because of the salvation awaiting us through Jesus Christ. When is he gonna come? I don't know. But what I do know is that God's word instructs us to live every day of our lives as if he could come at any moment. And again, maybe the greatest temptation of our our era, of these last days, is that we can just blow off the sense of urgency don't do it. The early church thought that Jesus could come at any moment, and he didn't. The 20th century church thought he could have come then. He didn't do it then. Well, why should we believe that he could return at any moment if it's been that way? Listen, I'm telling you, the G- Jesus and the apostles warn us over and over and over, do not give into that temptation. Because when he comes, it will be too late. Like a thief in the night. You didn't know it unexpectedly. We see what's going on. We see the birth pains. It's foreshadowing. When Jesus returns, every eye will see him. The entire planet, the entire planet will see Jesus descend on the clouds and rule and reign forever and ever. We're close. How close? I don't know. But we are certainly closer now today than the Thessalonians were. And when Paul gave this word to them, Paul and Silas and Timothy, when they wrote this letter to the church in Thessalonica, they were telling them, be ready. Well, we're certainly closer than they are. Be ready. I'll pray and then we'll worship just for a second. Lord Jesus, We believe and we declare that you are king of kings and you are Lord of lords. We know the day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. We believe the scriptures are true, that you are coming. We see that the spirit of Hamas is railing against the Holy Spirit, and we pray for Israel. God, we pray that they would turn to you, Jesus, and recognize you as Messiah. We pray for Hamas and the Palestinians and all those who are around the world, and even those of our next-door neighbors, Lord God, who don't know Jesus yet, and we pray that they would see you, Jesus, and that they would repent and they would turn to you and they would give their lives to you. And before that great and terrible day comes, they today would not wait any longer to bow their name to the name of Jesus. Thank you that you have destined us for salvation and not for wrath. Help us to encourage one another to continue living for hope. We worship you. You are the one who wins the war. Lord Jesus, we look forward to your coming. We cannot wait to be with you for forever and ever. Amen? Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com.